Mark chapter 2, verse 23, through chapter 3, verse 6. 2, 23 through 3, 6. Would you stand as I read? And it happened that Jesus was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to him, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, Grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have, in your wisdom, Sovereignty and providence that you have given us your word written down. We thank you that it has been faithfully translated into our language that we might hear and believe. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So Lord, would you enable us to hear today? Would you open our eyes where they might be blinded? Would you help us to consider things that we might not have considered before? Would you shape our hearts in a way that loves you more deeply and truly and loves our neighbor even as ourselves? Would you shape our wills to hear and believe and obey? But Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? God, help us to see how tremendous an ask that is, that you, the God of all, would speak to us even now. So, Father, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are a rest-deprived culture. Rest-deprived culture, country, community. Um, And we know it. We know that we don't rest well. After years and years of being coached into working harder and working longer hours, uh, and now all of the the cultural conversation is about you getting away, finding rest by recreating. 
You know, go buy a, a Jeep. There was a, they came out with a Jeep Wagoneer. They redid the Jeep Wagoneer. It look, I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. It looks like a hearse, actually. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. Uh, but on it, it has, you know, it, it, and it's all, you know, it's a Jeep commercial. So they're driving this $80,000 thing through giant mud holes like anybody's getting. All right, never mind. Uh, but it's, if you buy this car, then you can, you can have the adventure and you can get away from the constraints that you endure. Or I don't know if I've ever seen more sleep number bed commercials. Right? You can customize this bed and it's going to, you, you're, a, you're a number 52 and a half. And so you're going to be, it's not going to be too hard. It's going to be like Goldilocks. It's not going to be too hard. It's not going to be too soft. It's just going to be right. And then finally, You'll be able to sleep. You'll be able to rest. And we all know that uh, where it once was the, the, the cool thing, it was, it was once a, a sign of hard working saying, I only get so many, I only get four hours of sleep a night. I only get five hours of sleep a night. To the conversation now shifting to saying, well, you, need, you actually need to hibernate for half the day. You need to sleep for 12. No, nobody says that. You need eight, seven to eight hours or you're going to die. Everything is, eventually, if you do that, you're going to die. If you don't do this, you're going to die. Um, go Google it. Web, WebMD. I could be a guy on there. I don't have a medical degree, but blah, 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 blah. And if this is that, you're going to die. Okay? Never Google if you're sick. All right. That's another thing. I mean, you could ask the internet if you are, in fact, sick. It won't know. But if you're feeling bad, eventually, if you chase the crumbs enough, it's going to tell you that you're going to die soon. So. Um, okay. But we're rest deprived. Somewhere in the middle of all that, we know that we, we need rest. And in the middle of that, we also know that we're not getting rest. We need rest. We need we're not just physical rest, but we need mental, emotional, spiritual rest. And simultaneously, we recognize that if we were just to let the course of things happen, we would not get that rest. We would not achieve the rest that we need. And that right there, all of the, the Jeep commercials, all the sleep number ads, Tempur-Pedic, Serta, whatever, all of those things indicate that rest is built into the natural order. The fact that you are going to today, maybe, if you're lucky, going to go take a nap in your lazy boy or other recliner. Right? Maybe your couch. Maybe if you're really committed to it, you're going to go get under the covers and sleep. Um, Sarah has a friend that before she got married, she would take like a six-hour nap on Sundays. And I was like, I love a Sunday nap, but that's a, that's a nighttime. That's a night. That's what you do at night. Uh, but that, we're, that rest is, is we're made for it. We're, we're made to enjoy it. That, and yet it is something that is fleeting for us. We may try to rest, you might be able to, but yet in the morning you wake up weary. Not just weary from, hey, I, I got three hours of sleep last night because I have small children. Which didn't happen last night. Usually on Saturdays, that's what happens over Saturday night. And I come into Sunday morning, 18 gallons of coffee in me and we're going. It's an exaggeration. Um, but you wake up the next day, despite having done everything the world tells you to do, and yet you're weary. 
There are people who, after a, a, a weekend of rest, relaxation, and recreation, they wake up on Monday morning and they're already weary. And that might tell you that the rest that you need, that is so fleeting to find, isn't what the world is telling you. There, that the, the, this cultural conversation around rest and relaxation and recreation, that it's, it's pointing to an actual need, but it's giving you a prescription that doesn't fill the need. Yes, you, you do need to sleep. You do need to take it easy from time to time. Some of you might not need to hear that end of the spectrum. Some of you might need to hear the other side of the spectrum saying that in order for rest to be meaningful, there has to be a lot of work leading into it. Rest is not our perpetual state. We're not meant to always be resting, to always be recreating, to always be relaxing. And yet our culture, it seems that that's the solution. There are, there are books that sell that here's a four hour work week so that you can rest and relax and do whatever you want to do the rest of the time. So when we talk about the Sabbath, which often, uh, at least in Christian circles, there are many different opinions about what the Sabbath is. But Sabbath simply means it is a Hebrew word that means to cease, to stop, to rest. Can anybody tell me where we see this appear for the first time in the Bible? Genesis, who is the first to rest? Does he actually need to rest? No. So he... Remember, he creates the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested from his works. He blessed it and sanctified the seventh day. And he blesses and sanctifies things, not for his own sake, but for our sake. So that we are meant, baked into the creation order, the very first week of creation, there is a Sabbath. There is a rest. And it is one that God enjoyed. Not out of need or despair, but out of purpose, that he did all of this tremendous work that, unlike our work, it did not exhaust him, and yet he rests. And his rest is meant to bless, and it's meant to sanctify. To bless, it means to pour out God's favor. It should be a means of, if you will, a means of grace to us. To rest and to sanctify, that the Sabbath served... And serves as a way of creating and cultivating holy people. It's a way of God pouring out his grace upon us. And it's a way by which God creates in real time and space holy people. Distinguished and set apart in practice from the world. So the Sabbath had great significance in the Old Testament. Great significance that it was actually part of the sign of God's commitment to Israel that they would keep the Sabbath. And there was great judgment upon the people of God when they didn't keep the Sabbath. And there were various Sabbath is used numerous ways in the Old Testament to surrounding feasts and festivals. But the Sabbath I have in mind is that seventh day rest. Okay. So if you go read it, go Google Sabbath, be careful, right? Because uh, you're going to get a whole mess of things, just like if you go Google your symptoms that you have, right? But that we're made for rest and God designed us for rest, but our rest is meant, one, to be a means of God's grace in our life, and two, to make us holy people. 
Have you thought of, ever thought about your rest that way? Maybe you've thought about your, your, your sleep at nighttime, right? We, I'm not going to tell you what time we usually crash in our household. You would laugh at us and think that I was 80 years old. Uh, it's like 8.30 or 8.30 or 9 or something. Uh, now we crash to home, watching Hallmark movies. Anyways, Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, that you might think of your nighttime rest as a means of grace, but have you considered that it's also a means of God cultivating holiness? What happens when you lay your bed down at night? You're recognizing that while he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, Psalm 121, you have to. That part of God cultivating holiness in you when you are forced to physically rest at night is to remind you that you are not limitless, you are in fact limited. And that if you continue avoiding sleep, you're going to get sick, you're going to go crazy. It's a law of diminishing returns. It's a reminder of your limitedness and of God's sovereignty. So why might God, in His grace, in His blessing power, and in His sanctifying purpose, have a day of rest for the people of God? One. Two, does it even matter for us New Testament people? When Jesus encounters the Pharisees, those are kind of questions we might chase in a minute. When Jesus encounters the Pharisees, right, he is, there's been this escalating conflict. They've, he's been conflicting with them about who he's eating with. He's, he's been conflicting with them of, of, about the fact that he's feasting rather than fasting. That where Jesus' presence is, there is fullness of life. That he came to bring abundant life. And now they're asking, why are you bringing such abundance? Why are you feasting rather than fasting? Why are you living it up with tax collectors and sinners rather than being morally stringent upon yourself and upon your disciples? And now we enter into this confrontation over the Sabbath. And that's exactly what it turns into in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 3. Now, just as a kind of an aside, the chapter divisions in your Bible, they came after it was written. So the, the writer Mark did not put, he, didn't, he wasn't writing on the scroll, and then he didn't just write in three and then have this weird break, right? This really, the chapter break should really be after verse 6. Because these two pictures, little pictures, surround Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. And in the second instance, in the second picture, the second vignette in chapter 3, Jesus is the one inciting conflict. He's being intentionally confrontational. So that might need to be a, a, a correction to how you perceive meek and mild Jesus, is that Jesus is the one, not only does he confront them here, but later on or, or but he probably happens two times in his ministry. He makes a whip and he goes and clears out the temple. But yeah, he is intentionally making a confrontation, confrontational with the Pharisees. So why was it such a big deal? And what was going on here? This passage of scripture, which happens numerous times in the, in, shows up in the gospels, the various gospels. What is happening? Why is this such a big deal? They're going through the grain fields and they're in need. They're, they're hungry. They haven't eaten. And so Jesus and his disciples are picking the heads of grain. They're rubbing the grain in their hands to get off the, the rough, inedible outer shell. And there's the soft kernel on the inside. And they're eating that as they go on the Sabbath. 
See, what had happened surrounding the teaching of the Sabbath, of God's design of a day of rest and of worship on the seventh day, I haven't mentioned that yet, but a day of worship on the seventh day, is that the, the rabbis built this whole network of teaching surrounding the Sabbath. Just like they did with fasting, remember? That there was only one picture in the Old Testament where fasting is commanded, one place, on the Day of Atonement. Yet in rabbinic, in the tradition of those who were teaching the law, they began to say, no, you've got to fast all these other times up to the point of now, in Jesus' day, two times a week. That was even more severe, that that. That traditional buildup around the Sabbath was even more severe regarding the Sabbath. There were a set of 30, I think it was 39 rabbinic laws, so traditions that built out of this one law of God, right? The law of God and the Ten Commandments. Not only does God rest in the beginning, but he prescribes it in the moral law of God and the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, I think it is, right there in the middle. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, remember, notice that it's remember. It's not established the Sabbath day, but remember the Sabbath day. It's a creational ordinance to keep it holy. So, back up. So, it's a creational ordinance. It's prescribed in the moral law. And yet, because it's prescribed in the moral law, the rabbis built this whole tradition of 39 sort of sets of um, sin or, or ways that people might break it. And each of those 39 had six subcategories. I'm, I don't know the math. I'm not a mathematician. But that's a lot. It's a lot of added on law. And one of the laws was about sowing and reaping. One of the sets of laws was about sowing and reaping. So that what they, Jesus and his disciples were doing in the grain fields was considered reaping. That's reaping. You've just broken the Sabbath, according to the rabbinic tradition. So you need to understand that what Jesus and his disciples are doing here is not actually breaking the law of God in the Bible, but it is actually breaking the tradition of man. Okay? There is a difference here. He's not breaking the moral law of God, and he is breaking the traditional law of man. So they say, why is he doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? It's not lawful according to unlawful laws. It's not lawful according to man-made tradition. That the Sabbath, rather than being something that causes blessing and flourishing for people to be a means of grace and a sanctifying presence in their lives, saying you've got to stop working and rest and focus on God, rather than being this good thing that causes people to become what they ought to be in God, it had become something heavy and crippling, just like fasting had become. It was a It was a millstone around the neck. It was a ball and chain around the ankle. It was restricting people from actually living out their lives following God. And so Jesus cites this example of David. And he does. It's interesting that he doesn't just say he doesn't just unpack this biblical law, moral law argument. But he, he, he tells a story. He says, do you remember David? You love David. Everybody around here loves David. They all would have loved David. And David did something might be even considered worse. 
When he was on the run from Saul, he goes to, uh, the scripture says here in Mark, Abathar, but it was actually Ahimelech. Uh, and Ahimelech's son was Abathar because Ahimelech is murdered by Saul for helping David. Or he's, his murder is ordered by Saul for helping David. So Abathar rises to be the high priest, and he was the high priest much of the life of David. If you're, consider, you're worried about, you might not be, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about right now, but okay. Go read it in 1 Samuel. Um, he entered in, he ate the consecrated bread, he ate the bread of the presence. Now every week, 12 loaves of bread would be baked and placed upon the table outside of the Holy of Holies. 12 loaves for 12 tribes. And they would be replaced weekly, and the priests would be the ones who ate the bread and replaced it with new bread. David goes in to um, Ahimelech or Abathar. He goes, goes in and says, hey, I'm hungry. Do you have anything? He says, here's some bread. But you notice that the need of David trumps the strict legal code. The need or the necessity that he must eat trumps the stringent, what would have been then a stringent ceremonial law. What I'm trying to do is that saying, where, where I'm going, maybe this will help you, that, that the Sabbath day for Christians is Sunday, it's the Lord's day, and I'll tell you why in a second, that might be offensive to you, don't, don't get offended yet, I mean you can, just hold on, uh, that the Sabbath is the Lord's day. And on the Lord's Day, we should be engaged so much as is possible in the worship of God. We should be engaged so much as possible on the worship of God and that we can pursue works of need or necessity and the works of mercy. Both of these pictures, Jesus is engaged in a work of need. He's feeding himself and his disciples. And then he is doing a work of mercy by healing the man with a withered hand. That here we have a paradigm that these are the type of things that we should be doing on the Sabbath day. That we have not been uh, exempted from a day of rest. It's, it's, it's crazy to me that Christians want to say, hey, we actually, I don't actually want or need a day of rest. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath, so I'm going to absolutely wear myself out. And what that has done is not only has it worn Christians out, they've, re- they've removed themselves from the blessing of God appointed to the Lord's Day, and they've removed themselves from the sanctifying work of God on the Lord's Day, and they have degraded or undervalued the corporate worship of Jesus' church on the Lord's Day. They don't go to church. Okay, so that's where I'm kind of where I'm going, just so you know, if you haven't picked it up yet. Uh, so the work of need, of David's need and his companions, they were hungry, they needed food, and their need trumped a strict reading of the ceremonial law. And then Jesus has this fantastic closing. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That man is, if you will, over the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is meant for human flourishing. It's meant for people to be as they are, they are meant to be. That everywhere, every person in every age is meant and designed for a day of rest. Creation ordinance, God did it at the beginning. He blessed it and sanctified it. He gave it those things for people. Every person in every place. That might not be controversial, but it it maybe should be. Every person in every place is designed for a day of rest. A design, right? And we, you know, working for. 
for the weekend. Right? People, we kind of ruin it in our culture. That's, I can sing a little better than that sometimes. Uh, but that we, that we kind of bake it in, but we're meant for rest. But the rest that we enjoy cannot simply be, I'm going to stop working, which some people have no idea how to do now with cell phones. I'm, I'm going to actually stop working. I'm going to stop answering the phone. I'm going to stop answering emails. I'm going to stop answering text messages. I'm going to stop thinking about work. And part of that means is that if that's going to happen, if there's actually going to be a day of rest, then you have to prepare for it. You have to, right? Our lives are crazy. Your life is crazy. It's probably full. Brimmed, beginning to end. Brim full of stuff and activities and chores and bills and work. Whatever you got going on, your life is full. And you know you need rest. But in order to take the rest that God has designed for you and has commanded you to take, it requires that you get everything else done so that you can actually rest. And what that functionally means is that you have to begin to live according to your confession that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is the center of your life. If Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the center of your life and how you spend your time is how you spend your life, then it makes complete sense that we would order our time around the worship of Christ. That we would order our weeks along the lines of worshiping Jesus. So that means that um, there's there's a thousand different applications to this. But that you're doing everything you can the rest of the week so that this day, Christian. And I'll talk about I'll talk about in a second why it's this day. But this day is reserved so much as possible for the worship of God. Now, I know this is not meant to be crippling. It's not meant to be unnecessarily restrictive upon you. I'm not trying to be a modern day Pharisee, but I am after your blessing and I am after your sanctification, the things that God has appointed to his day. Okay. so sometimes you're going to have to, you know, some of you, you have weird work. I understand that sometimes it's going to be unavoidable that something's going to come up on the Lord's day. Sometimes it could very well be avoidable, but it might not be avoidable. Some of you work in, in jobs that, are, that serve desperately needy people, like in the medical field. And sometimes that means you have to work and help people on the Lord's Day. Okay, I'm not, af- I'm not here to trace out all of the exemptions. I want to lay down the principle for us to chase after. Because there's blessing and holiness attached to the Lord's Day. There's blessing and holiness attached to how we observe the Lord's day. And if we treat the Lord's day just like any other day, it, it, reflects, on our, it reflects our opinion and thought of, of the Lord himself. How we treat the Lord's day is indicative of how we think about God. How, and I'll, I'll give you a scripture for that in just a second. How we treat the Lord's day is indicative of how we treat God. How we think about God. How we approach God. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So it's a creation ordinance. It was given to the people there in the moral law of God. It was, they celebrated a Sabbath at creation, if you will. Uh, they celebrated a, a Sabbath entering into the land under Joshua. And we are now invited into, a, if you will, a spiritual Sabbath 
There remains a rest for the people of God. Chapter, in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe. There remains a rest for us. That we're called to enter into that rest. Commanded to enter into that rest. A, a ceasing of our works. Part of that is a ceasing of simply the work it takes to be a human. But also ceasing of the works by which we try to save ourselves. And trusting in what God has done for us in Jesus. But if Jesus is the Lord, even of the Sabbath, then Jesus alone has the authority to change the day. And Jesus changed the day. You know why? You know why? What, what happened on Sunday? He rose. Jesus entered into his rest after finishing his work on Sunday. He finished his work, right? It is finished on the cross, buried in the grave, rose on Sunday, and then he ascends into heaven. And he, in, in essence, rests from his redemptive work. He continues his priestly work. He has not ceased to be uh, king of all. He continues to intercede. He continues to be the prophet who communicates truth through the Spirit. But he has finished his work of atonement. And because he has finished his work of, of atonement, he, that is the basis upon which that is the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. There's a longer argument here that I'm not going to parse out for you. But simply, we, we worship on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. He finished his work. He died on the cross. He rose victorious over the tomb. And his gospel centers on his life, death, resurrection. And upon that basis, God will make a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem made without sin, sorrow or death. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he has the authority and in fact exercises it later by changing the day. So we no longer worship on Saturday. There are uh, certain sects of, uh, of Christian groups, Seventh-day Adventists, for example, that say you must worship on, on Saturday. I'm not going to chase that rabbit right now. The Lord's Day... The pattern of the New Testament is that they worshipped on Sunday. Pattern, Acts 20, verse 7, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord spoke to me that the Lord's day is designated as the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the dead. In that, okay, I don't want to lose you. Let's finish. So Jesus now, after this first confrontation, enters into, <clears throat> real quickly, uh, this healing of the man. He goes, it's a different day, but it was the same issue, the Sabbath. How ought we to rest? Is it a good thing to actually help people on the Sabbath day? Yes. 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 If it is meant for blessing and sanctification, then your blessing that you've received in Christ should be poured out on other people so that you can engage, you can help your own need and the need of those who are around you, so your family or your neighbors, and you can feed yourselves, other works of need and necessity, and you can pursue mercy for other people. But Jesus has this confrontation where he calls the man up. He says, I'm going to make a public example. As I heal this man, I'm going to make a public example of the, the Pharisees, his adversaries. And they are enraged. And so just showing their spiritual state here, they go off to see how they can murder Jesus because he, he heals a man with a withered hand. 
They're so bound up in their traditionalism. They're so bound up in how they see they ought to save themselves and they, their, their view of how God has ordered the world that they refuse to acknowledge what is before them and they would rather kill Jesus than to change. How often have we said, what would Jesus do if you were alive today? What? Well, oh, he is. If you were walking the earth today, we would crucify him all over again. We'd crucify him all over again. We're no better than the Pharisees. Except for God has given grace to us to open our once blind eyes, to soften our once hard hearts, that we might rejoice today that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he will come again to set the world to rights and to be with us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And he's coming again that we might be where he is. The Lord's Day is a time for us to remember and to look forward. To rehearse the resurrection. But also to look forward to the resurrection ahead. But if we disdain the Lord's Day... Be careful that you do not end up disdaining the Lord himself. And you're thinking, Jacob, it's not, it's much more complicated than that. We, we've got stuff to do. Think, well, this is not the first century. Our lives are so busy. We have so many sports, sporting activities. I need to go home and I need to go home and catch up on, on the NFL. I need to see the college games that I missed. My kid has travel ball. He has a chance of getting a scholarship or she has volleyball. She has a chance of getting a scholarship. And again, I, I don't, know, I don't have anybody in mind, but I've heard those excuses for people disdaining the Lord's day too often. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure or business, it could be translated, on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways. So it's not another Saturday. It's not another Saturday that we just happen to come flip the lights on in the church building. But this is a a unique day. Um, Then, if if you're treating the, delighting in the Sabbath, you're honoring the Sabbath, you're seeking, you're not seeking your own way, you're seeking the way of the Lord, you're not speaking your own word, you're speaking the word of the Lord. Verse 14, then, consequently, then, you will take the light in the Lord. Do you see the connection? Same word. Verse 13, and call the Sabbath day a delight, then you will delight in the Lord. If, if you continue, and this is, this is the hard thing, right? I want to send this to all the people who, haven't, who don't go to church. And maybe I will. That would be super confrontational, like Jesus. Maybe not quite the same. Might not be received like that. But... If you continue to withdraw yourself from the, the, the appointed means that God has said, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to sanctify you, I'm going to meet with you. If you continue to withdraw yourself from that, where do you think you're going to end up? If God has said, gather with my people on the Lord's day. Gather with them, sing and sit under the word and pray and encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another under the Lord. And we're saying, no, I don't actually need that. Just give me my Bible and a journal in my comfy chair at home with no other Christians. 
And yet, American individualism has turned our spiritual walk into that isolated event. And because it's turned our walk into that isolated event, we are easy pickings for the adversary. Dear ones, you need the body of Christ. You need this moment. Whether you're, you, we have the attention span for a 30-minute sermon, you come and expose yourself to it long enough, you will delight in the Word of God. You will delight in singing the songs with the saints. You will delight when someone says something true and right, whether it's in this pulpit or from another. You will delight, and then when you don't do it, you'll find an absence in your life because God has meant, made you not just for the Tempur-Pedic. He's made you for the, for the people of God. He's made you for Sunday morning church. And we've lost our way. You will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He is appointed for the Lord's day. As you observe it, your delight in the Lord will grow, but also his blessings upon you will grow. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. That sounds similar to God's charge to Adam and Eve to go forth and subdue, to exercise dominion. It sounds similar. Now, I'm not going to chase this rabbit because we're out of time. So they say. Some, somebody somewhere. That when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, cover the earth with the gospel of Jesus, we need stuff like that. I'm going to make you ride on the heights of the earth. That Jesus' name is meant to be shouted from the top, if you will, just symbolically, from the top of Mount Everest and the top of Annapurna in South America, from the tops of the highest mountains, from the tops of the seats of power. Jesus is worthy of all glory. And if we won't be a people who says the Lord says holy, I'm going to prepare everything so that I can be free to worship him. What sorts of people are we going to be the rest of the week? And the rest of our lives where he has called us to do ordinary great things. And he might have called us to be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we'd rather be in our lazy boy or our couch or our Tempur-Pedic. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The promise that in what the, the promise that Jacob inherited was the promise that God gave to Abraham. That in your descendant, all, of this, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And in fact, it's a, the heritage is promised to Jesus in Psalm 2. Ask of me and I would give the nations. And the nations are given to Jesus Christ, the Son. For he has died and he has risen And he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And when he returns, he will return for a people from every, every, E-V-E-R-Y, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And Christ will have that for which he died. So dear church, let us call the Lord's Day a delight. And as we call the Lord's Day a delight, may we learn to delight in the Lord of the day. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And even as it challenges, as you challenge us in it, we thank you that we know that even your confrontation with us is gracious 
that you intend to bless and to sanctify, to, to make us holy, to grow our joy and our capacity for the things of God. And I pray, God, if there are some who, who right now are convicted simply that they have been living their own way without any regard to Jesus, without any submission or yielding to you as Lord and Savior, that you would awaken them that they might believe upon Jesus for the first time, that they would come with the faith of a child and say, God, save me, I need your help. And would they know that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For those who struggle to or who have struggled, particularly in COVID season, to call the Lord's Day a delight. Would you forgive us, God, where we have treated your day like any other, where we have not ordered our steps on Monday as though Jesus were Lord, or on Saturday night? Would you teach us to find delight in shaping our lives in time, in space, around this day. And as we shape our lives around this day, we will have learned that we have shaped our lives by your grace around you. Lord, would you come and have mercy as we repent where it is needed. But above all, Lord, I pray that you would give us delight in yourself. Delight, joy, and gladness. You are our God, and we are your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.